right, we are in John chapter 9, continuing through the book of John, the Gospel of John. Last two weeks we've been off of John. We had Easter service, and then I also preached a sermon on uh, elders, pastors, bishops, what that means. But now we get back into it today. So just as a quick reminder, since it's been a couple weeks, let me remind you of where we've been. We have been at the Feast of Tabernacles, or the Feast of Booths that Jesus has been at, and He has been teaching, and He has been explaining to the religious leaders, to the others, to the Pharisees, to everyone there, a couple of truths, who He really is, that He is indeed the light of the world, that He truly is the Messiah, that He truly is the one who can set you free. He's the one that through the power of the Holy Spirit can have living water that just flows in your soul and through you. We ended a couple weeks ago with Jesus going back and forth with some of the Pharisees. And it said this in verse 58, 858. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. And just so you know, for those who are out there who say, well, Jesus never actually claimed to be God. He just did it right there. And when He did it, how do we know? Because, verse 59, so they picked up stones to throw at Him. Why would they do that? They were going to stone Him for blasphemy because He just claimed to be the great I Am. But Jesus hid Himself and went out of the synagogue. And that sets the tone for the passage today. I'm going to read through the passage that I'll be preaching today. You can follow along. You don't read out loud, but follow along, and then we'll work through it. John chapter 9, verse 1, As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with mud and said to him, Go and wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, It is he. Others said, No, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, Then how were your eyes opened? He answered, The man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, Well, where is he? He said, I do not know. This passage is interesting. It seems to be, of course, still close to the Feast of Booths, 
or the Feast of Tabernacles, where Jesus has just said, I am the light of the world. And if you remember, like I explained to you before, if you were here, that there were these gigantic torches that were there. And it was in, with those torches where Jesus would have said, I am the light of the world. It's that context that this passage comes to us. Verse 1, as he passed by, this doesn't necessarily mean right at that very moment when he had disappeared from verse 58 or 59 of John 8, but certainly still in Jerusalem and certainly close to this time. We don't know exactly when this happens, but it's close to this time with the Feast of Booths, the Feast of Tabernacles. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. The from birth part is important there. And his disciples asked him, right? They're walking by and they see the guy over there and his disciples ask, Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents? There is a belief, it still exists today around many parts of the world, but certainly at this time, that if somebody had some type of deformity, some type of medical issue that they were born with, that it must be sin that's caused that. That was part of the beliefs of the time. So in their mind, they're wondering, was this was this his parents that sinned? Perhaps maybe mom sinning while the baby was in the womb. Is that what caused this, Lord? Or, as they also believed during that time, did the guy, the baby, when he was a baby, did he sin in the womb? They actually believed that that was possible. Now, of course, we would say, I don't know about sinning in the womb. I don't really know what's going on fully. However, we do know that Scripture does say that we, as humans are sinners by nature and by choice. So there certainly is the idea of that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, even somehow, according to Scripture, that children would be under sin. Why? Because they are from Adam. But they're asking, basically, did, did, did he sin when he was in the womb? Or did mom or dad sin? Look at Jesus's answer. Who sinned that he was born blind? Verse 3. Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents. Now what Jesus is not saying there, he's not saying they're perfect. That's not what he's saying. He's drawing, he's trying to show that there's not the direct correlation to the sin. It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. I want that to land on you for a moment. The reason that this guy was born blind was so that the works of God could be displayed in him. We had some verses earlier that our brothers read that talked about discipline from the Lord. And that is certainly true. There is discipline from the Lord. We saw it. He, he disciplines those He's loved. Those who are His sons and daughters, He will discipline out of love. Does it feel good in those moments? No, it doesn't feel good. But He does it, not punishment. He does it as discipline to bring us back to Him to where we be obeying and following Him as we should. This is what parents are supposed to do. We're supposed to discipline our children to correct them to get them on the right track. 
Some of us have a mentality of, I'm going to punish my child for something they've done. That's the wrong mentality. Some of us go into discipline our kids and we do it out of anger. The moment you do it and with that type of emotion, it's sin and you're wrong. That is not righteous anger. You can't justify it that way. It's discipline, meaning you're going and the ultimate hope is that you're going to show your children in that moment the gospel. The gospel. What does gospel mean, congregation? The good news. So when you're disciplining your children, the point is that you are trying to show them the good news. Now, for some of the children here, they're like, mm, not really sure that feels like good news. That that is good news. No, it is good news because here's the good news. When they have messed up, when they are not obeying or following the things that they should, here's what you're saying to them. You're saying, you know what? All of us go astray. But Jesus has died for that sin too. And it's by His grace that we're able to repent and follow Him. The good news is beautiful. It's wonderful. But there is the bad news. Right? There is discipline that the Lord brings. Here's one word of advice to you. If you are going through a trial, I would encourage you to cry out to the Lord and say, Lord, as we did before the supper, am I in sin? Am I in sin? Show me if I'm in sin, God. Guess what? He'll show you. Is what's happening, Lord, discipline from you? Or is it the fact that we live in a fallen world? Or... Is it not that there is sin involved in the sense of a direct correlation, but is this what's happening to me right now, the fact that you want to show your glory and your works and your power through this current situation? It could be any of those. The Lord has to make that known to you. You can certainly go to His Word. If something you're doing is against His Word, that's sin. But I need some of you in here to hear this morning that either something that's going on in your life now or something that you've always had in your life, it may have nothing to do with your sin, your parents' sin, your grandparents' sin, and it may have everything to do with the fact that God wants to show His mighty power in His works through you and in you. That's a marvelous thing. Let's keep going. Jesus answers them, it's not that this man sinned or his parents did, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. So that Jesus continues on, we must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. A couple different interpretations on this. You could say that it's during this age that we need to do the works because one day... The end will be here and we won't be able to work any longer. I think a better understanding of this is we must do the works of Him, meaning God, who sent Jesus while it is day. Meaning while Jesus is here on the earth. He's going to say that in verse 5. While Jesus is here on this earth, while it is day, because He's the light, it's day, we need to follow Him. We need to do the works that He's doing. He's telling His disciples that. Night is coming when no one will work. He's going to die soon. He's been talking about his crucifixion over and over and over again. He's telling them that day's coming. That doesn't mean they won't have work to do 
after that, but for now, he's following them around. He says, we need to do the work the Father has sent us to do right now because soon I'm going to die and soon I'm going to leave. Now, when he leaves, he actually explains that it's better for his disciples, it's better for all of us that he does go because he goes to the right hand of the Father and then he sends who? Whom does he send? The Holy Spirit comes. So it's actually better, instead of, Jesus actually says, and get this, it's better, instead of being with Jesus, walking around with them, it's actually better for them that he would go. Why? Because they're going to have the Spirit of God living inside of them. And that's why he says, I'm going to be with you till the end of the age. We have the Holy Spirit inside of us if we are followers. But he's saying his crucifixion is coming. Verse 5, as long as I am in the world, this is why we interpret it that way, as long as I'm in this world, I am the light of the world. As long as he's here, he's the light. Now guess what? He goes, we get his spirit, now guess what we're supposed to be? We're to be the light, reflecting the light of Christ to this world. Now there's verse 6. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Ew. Right? It's like, what? 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 Jesus, love your word. You're awesome. I'm, I'm trying to understand this one. Don't worry. You're not alone. Throughout church history, people have been trying to figure out these type of verses and what is going on here. He spits on the ground, makes mud, then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud. Right? You guys would love that when I do a visitation at the house or up at the hospital. Right? Ah! Coach was in the hospital a few months ago. Go up there and see him. Ah, something's going on with my heart. No problem, coach. (laughs) What is going on? That's not what he's talking about. What? But the text says that's what he did. The emphasis is not on the saliva. The emphasis is on the mud. There are a couple different interpretations of this. I'm going to give you what I think is happening here. If you're around on Wednesday night, we'll discuss the other options. Some of you may know them already. It seems to be that when he makes, he uses the saliva to make the mud. It seems to be that as he makes that mud and he's forming it and he's going to put it and he's going to heal this guy through that, that he may be linking back to Genesis chapter 2 when out of the dust he formed Adam. He may be showing a part of his divinity. That's the most popular interpretation from church history all the way back just after the disciples left and they began to, others began to write up until recent. That's the most popular idea is that he's linking it back to Genesis 2 and he's restoring the man as he should be, claiming to be God, which he just claimed. In context, it makes sense. I think he's also doing something else. I agree, but I think he may be doing something else as well. Here's what I think he's doing. I think he's going to put, he's going to touch this man in the place that needs to be healed. He actually does this in Mark twice. There's a deaf man, sticks his fingers in his ears. There's another one that's blind, he rubs his eyes as well. I think part of it is he's touching the place where the man is hurting, where the man is not whole. He's touching it to communicate to him. In addition to that, he's starting a journey. I think he's starting a journey with this guy. He's going to put the mud on his eyes. He could, now, could have Jesus just have healed him by just going, you're healed? Could he have done that? Yes. Absolutely, right? He definitely could have done that. He does it other places. He doesn't have to be there. 
So it's not for Jesus' benefit or some weakness that Jesus has. It has to be for his benefit, the guy and the people around. Remember, these are the mighty works that God's doing. God sometimes wants to show you his mighty works, but he also wants to show the people around you through this man. If he just healed him, people still would have been talking. He does it this way, the guy has to go somewhere else. It becomes more of a journey, more of a story. I think that's part of what's going on here. Look what it says. He spit on the ground, he anoints the man's eyes with mud, and said to him, Go and wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. Thank you for the translation. So he went and washed and came back seeing. Look at this. Don't miss this. This man never asked Jesus to do anything. Do you notice that? He actually never said anything to Jesus. They're walking. Jesus is with the disciples. They see the guy, and they're asking questions about him. He never said anything to Jesus. Jesus just goes over and spits on him. Not really. This guy is a picture of where we are spiritually. I believe this guy is a picture of where we are spiritually before we find Christ. Look at it. He's hopeless. He's blind. He can't see. Before Jesus, we're what? We're blind and we can't see. He was born this way. Guess what? Because of sin, we understand that we are born separated from God. He's born this way. You know what? He doesn't even know what it means to see. If you lose your sight later in life, as maybe some of you have or you know people, you actually know what it used to be like to see. He doesn't even know. Spiritually, we don't know what it's like to be connected to God until it happens through Christ. Another thing, he doesn't, like I said, he doesn't reach out to Christ. Christ pursues him. We love because he, what? First loved us. We didn't go to heaven to get saved. Heaven came to us. Jesus pursues us. Jesus pursues this guy. He's over there and he's blind and doesn't know what's going on. He doesn't even know what it's like to see. And guess what? Nobody can help him. If they could have, he would see. Hopeless apart from Christ. That's our state. And Jesus pursues him. But look at this and don't miss it. Jesus told him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent, which is cool. He sends him to the pool, and multiple times over and over and over, we see that Jesus is the one who's been sent from heaven. More of that journey and that testimony. So he did what? He sat there and said, I hope this mud comes off. That's not what he did. He responded. He responded to God's work in his life. He responded to Jesus working in his life. He went as he was told to do. He washed as he was told to do. And he came back seeing. He responded in faith. We have to respond in faith just like this man. Folks, you are the blind man. I am the blind. We are the blind man. We have to respond in faith. And why do I think He truly responds that way because he comes back. He doesn't run somewhere else. He doesn't go, i got to go see a sunset. I've heard about it. I don't even know what that is. He comes back, and he was seeing. He comes back. I want to believe he's coming back looking for Jesus. All he knows about is 
this guy Jesus, I think, put, he put mud on my eyes. I don't know if he knows that he spit. We don't know. It's not included completely. But he comes back. He responds in faith. Verse 8, the neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? First of all, shame on them. They don't know who he is. They're not paying attention. Or, for some of them, I think it's shame on them. But, look at this. Some said, it is he. So some of them got it right. Others said, no, but he is like him. He kept saying, I'm the man. You know what's interesting? He's so different now that they're not sure. So maybe they were paying attention, but they're like, wait a minute. That's the beggar guy who used to be over here, and I've even given him money before. This guy is, see- is seeing now. He's walking around. He's very different. That cannot be the right guy. Question, brothers and sisters. After Jesus has opened your eyes, are you so different that the world goes? Your old friends went, are you the same guy? You know what I'm talking about? Some of you know what I'm talking about. They're like, mm, I don't think you're the same person. You know what Paul says in 2 Corinthians? You're not. You're a new creation. Praise be to God, we're a new creation. Now what about this guy? Do you think, out of curiosity, do you think that he went back to his same spot, closed his eyes, and held out his hands to just keep begging? Help me! I can't see! Somebody help me! Or do you think he got on with the life he's supposed to live in glorifying God? When we are delivered from sin through the gospel, when we have a new life, we have been transformed. Sin, the power of sin, broken. The pleasures of sin, we don't want that anymore. Why do we live the same life? We're free to go and live this new life that is beautiful with our eyes to be able to see, the eyes of faith to be able to live. So they said to him, which is a logical question, Well, then how were your eyes opened? Verse 11, he answered, here it is. The man called Jesus. He made mud. Not sure how. I heard him make a sound. And he anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and I washed. You see what he's saying? He's telling the same testimony over and over again. Jesus is great. He had mercy on me. I don't know a lot about him. His name's Jesus. That's what I know at this point. Brothers and sisters, whatever you know about him, share it with people. Explain how he opened your eyes to see. And I received my sight. And they said to him, where is he? And he said, I do not know. He didn't know yet. Next week, we're going to pick up in the story and continue on to see how this thing plays out. A couple of takeaways for you. Realize and rest in the fact that Jesus is the light of the world, but realize you have to have your eyes open to see it. Some of you have put your faith in Christ and He has opened your eyes. You believe in Christ. Keep them open. Keep looking. Don't close your eyes. Don't go back to begging. Don't go back to living with your eyes closed. Keep your eyes open. Look at Him. He is the light. He is beautiful. Where do we see Him, folks? In His Word. Stay in His Word. 
We see Him in the body of Christ. Why does He open the guy's eyes? Did the guy deserve it? Did the guy earn it? Grace and mercy. Praise your Jesus for His grace and His mercy. Next thing, realize that there are some things in your life that are disciplined from God and you need to repent of sin. And there are some things in your life that have happened, maybe even from birth, or that you're going through now, and all he wants to do is glorify himself and strengthen your faith through it. Either way, Romans 8 tells us that he's working all things for the good of those who love him or are called according to his purposes. Third, note the drastic difference in the life of the man, that people weren't even sure if it was the same person. Long for this. And then as we saw him, he came back looking, I believe, seeing now Jesus, wanting to follow. Brothers and sisters, figure out what you need to be doing to come back to Christ if you're away from him and follow. Let's pray together. God, you are a gracious God. You are slow to anger. You are rich in mercy. You are abounding in your loving kindness. Lord, we are thankful for this story and realizing that we have been this guy. We have been blind, but by your grace you have allowed us to see. And we see, Lord, that you are the light. And we need your word constantly. So we would behold you more and more. I pray for my brothers and sisters here today. For those who know you, Lord, I pray they would respond to your word today. Help all of us in here to look more like Jesus. Father, for those who are here who do not know you, they have been blind. They have not responded to the gospel message, the good news over and over and over again. Maybe it's because they haven't really understood that the bad news is about them too. Lord, we're thankful that the bad news is about all of us so no one's better than anyone else. But that by grace you save us through faith. Lord, I pray that those in here who do not know you would cry out to you now for salvation, Lord. Help us to respond as you see fit by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.